Many Catholics out there have asked us to make videos on James Martin. Father James Martin, is he a menace in the church or is he helping the church? Does he sincerely care for people or is he actually hurting the people that he's trying to care for? These are really good questions, and these are what we're going to be looking at, among other things, because there's many people in the church who seem to be trying to work for the church, but also, at the same time, perhaps might be working against the church in a certain way. And so, Father James Martin and others have been coming to the forefront on this matter, and so we're going to be looking at him, and what is the truth? Should we speak the truth, or should we just speak love? Should we just love everybody, or should we do a combination of both? And that is what we are going to be speaking about right after this. Hello, everyone. If you haven't been here before, my name is Brian Mercier. Welcome to Catholic Truth. Check out our website at thecatholictruth.org and make sure to check out all of our social media if you need a retreat speaker, confirmation speaker, parish mission, apologetic seminars, or anything else, check out our website. But today, we are super excited to be talking about a non-controversial topic, uh, namely Father James Martin and other dissidents in the church. And to do that, we have a wonderful person, Hudson Bilbo, who has been here with us before. And he is is uh the he's helped author countless books and countless articles he's a national international speaker mr biblo here uh embraced the lgbtq mindset uh for a while and so he understands both sides you know and so who better to talk with than hudson biblo and he's going to be sharing his wisdom with us so thank you for joining us on the show hudson thanks for having me here brian i really appreciate being back here yeah yeah, I know you have some thoughts on uh, Father James Martin, and uh, a lot of people have thoughts on Father James Martin. What to make of him? He doesn't like. I've read his uh, his writings. I've listened to his talks. Everyone seems to think that he has these big aha moments, you know, where you could just catch him, and he's like teaching this heretical uh, or you know totally off base Catholic teaching. But I haven't been able to find it that often. I feel like just from my own personal opinion, that he's a lot more sly than that. He tries to work under the radar a lot more and maybe create doubts in people's minds or maybe get other people to uh, protest or try to get things changed, whereas he's technically following the laws, but maybe maybe he's doing it in such, maybe an insidious way, or maybe he's sincere and he sincerely thinks he's doing right. Sometimes it's hard to make heads or tails of him. I think there's something dubious there, but maybe you can <laughs> shed some more light on it. Sure. Uh, you know, those are all interesting questions to consider. Like, all I know is like, I, I mean, I've, I've read most of his book and, and many sit down. So I do have it. Um, I've heard him on, uh, private seminars to like, uh, family ministers and stuff like that in conference calls in the United States. Um, I've heard lots of his, uh, I've read lots of stuff. I heard lots of his interviews and everything like that. And, and there's, there are some things that seem to, um, emerge in my assessment of this. Is that I, I truly actually believe he thinks he's doing the right thing, and and that in and of, in and of itself is laudable, of course. But um, but there's that one thing: it's that idea that well, um, I'm not challenging church teachings. In fact, I just heard an interview he gave recently where he kind of reasserted that, and I was like, a little light bulb went off. It's like, you know, that that's sort of true in the sense that it's not like a direct challenge you know it's not like he's nailing a spike to a door kind of thing um but what i'm learning or what i'm noticing is that uh the people who become emboldened by uh his storytelling and and uh his his method of approaching this topic some people are becoming emboldened and those people the fruits those people um are uh typically becoming more invested in the idea that the moral authority of the church should be rejected on this topic. So it's quite interesting. It's like, sure, maybe he can truthfully say that he's not challenging uh, the faith um, uh, on this, but certainly the, the a lot of the people who are being emboldened by him uh, are. And in particular, uh, it's, it's, it's not about, you know, looking with compassion or understanding God's amazing love for all of us and God's amazing love for him and all, and all the people he's speaking to. But ultimately, um, other other things deeper in the church, such as the church's ultimate proposal to all people, which is to strive to grow in the fullness of virtue and holiness, which, uh, you know, 
which defined by the church because of the moral authority of the church. And this is this is sort of the big thing. It's that I I see among many people who who are obvious dissenting uh, dis, in dissenting positions, holding on to dissent, is that there's this fundamental desire, it seems, to draw people away from seeing the church as the, the church as the spotless bride of Christ as the moral authority. And I've heard people's rationale for this being like, well, you know, the church made a mistake there and it, it changed on slavery and you got all these kinds of like, like, uh, you know, what about the Inquisition? You know what I'm saying? All these things about straw man uh, arguments. Yeah, usually. Yeah, things like that. Or maybe how even the institutional church on earth mishandled something, for example, uh, residential schools in Canada, for example, or in many places. So we know that not only the people of the church do things that would make someone say, why would I like a trust the moral authority of the church, but also the church run institutions of this earth have also been involved in some of those things. And so those I'm learning from dissenting Catholics uh, serve as good enough reasons to, uh, to abandon the idea that the church as spotless bride of Christ should uh, be seen as uh, moral authority. And so that's kind of troubling because if you don't have the church as the moral authority, then you become the moral authority. And then you get, then you get guys like this, who I, I sat down for breakfast with a guy once and he's like, he acknowledged to me that his, uh, same sex relationship was literally counter to the order of creation authored by God. He, he recognized that he knew that, but, but because he was his, he was his own moral authority. He said, my conscience is okay with this. So his <laughs> yeah, and and then his rationale was that well, God will understand, and 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 we ra- we we follow a risen Christ, and I'm like, I'm trying to receive this guy in the moment. You know, we hugged after breakfast. It was a really beautiful, good breakfast and stuff. Um, you know, uh, like I mean, a con- I mean the conversation, not just the breakfast. Although the breakfast was good, <laughs> but like, but that that was his rationale. That's and like me so- saying I'm cheating on my wife. You know, and I know that's horrible and wrong, but my conscience is okay with it. And we serve a risen Christ. And so, you know, what? okay, let's go with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Christ would understand. And I mean, that's also paired with this idea that, which is also, I find, um, uh, it seems to be uh, emerge when I'm talking with dissenting Catholics. And believe me, I have plenty of opportunity to talk with dissenting Catholics. And this is the idea that, well, if you truly don't believe something is a sin, then it's not a sin. And something that, let's say you have a real strong, deep desire on your heart, uh, that it's surely, this is a quote, surely that couldn't come from, or no, sh- sorry, surely that has to be from God. That was the exact quote I had in a private one-on-one meeting with the lady. This actually had to do with her desiring, the feeling that God was calling her to be a Catholic priest. And I was like, she's like, well, the desire is so strong. Surely it has to be from God. I'm like, no. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. No. <laughs> It was wild, yeah. man. But yeah, um, but as soon as as soon as we become our own authorities, like look out, you know. That's actually a very important point. I want to come back to it later too. But you know, the fact that we can't make up the rules, we don't get to say what's right and wrong. We don't get to decide what's true and false. We only—it's like Christ has drawn a line in the sand, and he says, "Choose a side: my side or the world's. My side or yours." You know, even if you're on the fence, it's the devil's. You know, like he said, you know, if you're not gathering with me and following me, then you're scattering and you're against me. And that's really scary. If we hear those words on Judgment Day someday, you know, depart from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. And these people, many of them say, Lord, Lord, but I, but I tried to serve you and I tried to do some good things. And he's like, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. I mean, it's, it's scary how we can deceive ourselves, but isn't that what, uh, some, some saints said that, you know, sin, bl- sin blinds you. And of course, mm-hmm. the corresponding virtue, uh, from Matthew 5, 8 is, uh, it says in the Beatitudes that, the pure of heart shall see God. So the more we sin, the more it makes our conscience blind, the more we think we know what we're doing. Kind of like the Pharisees, they thought they were doing right and they were walking the road to hell, Jesus said. Totally. And that's exactly uh, reiterated in our catechism. It's either 1860 or 1865. And it's the second sentence. And it basically says, yeah, like the more one of them is the more you sin, the more you get blinded by sin. And obviously, the more compromised you are in being able to determine uh, good from evil. So, uh, you know, of course, when people don't think they're sinning, but they are sinning, um, their conscience becomes clouded. 
that's that's the phrase: your conscious becomes clouded. Uh, so that, that's that's a problem. Um, interestingly, the other one, so 1860 or 1865, the other one that I'm not referencing that is also sentenced to talks about how the uh, some truths written in, written by God are written onto the soul of every person, and like you can't claim ignorance to these things. And so that's, that's a big thing. It's like, you could, you can't just say, well, I didn't feel like I was sinning or I didn't know that I was sinning. Um, it's like, no, like this is written, like there are some things that are written onto the heart of man that we will have yeah. to be held accountable to. Right. And that's Romans uh, chapter that's, one. It should be a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. Romans chapter one says that, you know, and it, ironically, it's condemning the people who are living homosexual lifestyles in that passage and trying to justify it. And, and Paul says, you can't, you know, you, we can tell by creation and God has put these things on our heart. We know what's right and wrong. Many times we just don't want to follow it. And that is scary. That's why Matthew seven, Jesus says the road to heaven is narrow and uphill and difficult to climb. Whereas the road to hell is wide and easy to travel and lots of people because we don't feel like doing what's hard and what's right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And you know what, like, there's some people who say that anything, well, they, they'll claim that if, if something is less than fully affirmative of an LGBTQ mindset, because that's where behavior begins, it starts up here, and in here and our desires and our appetites and what we want to do with them. Um, they'll say like, well, unless you're perfectly affirming me, you're a bigot or a homophobe or being hateful, uh, just for not affirming them. But the, the, the problem is that the, the desire that we should have as Catholics for all people to get to heaven, including all people who experience same-sex attractions and people who, who might be, who might be practicing, uh, in, uh, homosexual relationships. We desire that they get to heaven. But before that's going to happen, people, we hope to impart a desire for holiness. And this is actually an important thing I'm trying to say is that we could talk about homosexuality or we could talk about transgenderism, but that, that actually can isolate, let's say, a group of people. And that's not what our church points us to our church says instead of prioritizing the sin focus let's prioritize the virtue focus and if we look toward the universal proposal to grow in the fullness of virtue we will see that it's for all people married or single but it all whoever you're attracted to uh, at any state in your life and so it doesn't discriminate against anybody the proposal to grow in the fullness of virtue and i also emphasize the word proposal several times because if we don't start specifically emphasizing that this is a the church's universal proposal um it becomes easier for people to say you're imposing chastity on me you're imposing and the imposition of chastity if it's if it's uh re received like that can be grounds for let's say possible possible legal action in the world of forthcoming conversion therapy bylaws, uh, conversion therapy laws, right? So so if we want to stay ahead of the game, let's really emphasize proposal the church is proposing. And believe me, I'm living in Canada where these stuff, this stuff is like in place and you down in the United States, you guys will taste it soon, right? Taste, taste, <laughs> buckle up, okay? But Communism. we gotta, we gotta like nail that 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 language. Use use good, accurate language, and really emphasize the beauty of the proposal, the universal proposal. And I, I yeah, want to say one thing. You said you said also like you can't make the rules. But as soon as you said that, what I thought of immediately is like, no, well, true, but we can't make the truths. God has already written these truths into creation. This isn't about us making our truth, though our experiential truths are an important part of our story. They just can't be prioritized above what God has authored into the into the universe. He's made the arena through which we live our lives. That's the point, right? And, and it's like if people could see that and order those properly, then it becomes a lot easier to embrace chastity because you're saying, well, I'm just I'm just trying to love what has been designed. And in the world of like environmentalism, where we're supposed to like love what God has designed into the world, it's like, well, you know, God also designed us as males and females, right? God designed us. The, we're sexually dimorphic species. We are, there's sexuality. Uh, there's a complementarity among the sexuality. And to desire to counter that, it's not about, it's like, I want to think about it in terms of the order of creation. It's simply counter to how things are ordered in creation, thus the word disorder. And when I used to be embracing the LGBTQ mindset, the word disorder used to really like trouble me. Like, are you calling me disordered? And it's like, no, it's simply that I had a desire to engage in things. And even even when I was, uh, you know, like uh, looking at things in a secular heterosexual kind of uh, realm, 
uh, there's many desires to engage in sexual activity that was counter to the order of creation, counter to how sexual sexuality is authored to uh, to be, which is for procreation and, and unity of love. And but the, today the word disorder doesn't bother me at all because I can see the church's teachings are truths upheld by the church, not invented by the church. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And so that brings me back to Father James Martin again. Um, you know, he said he might not be trying to directly challenge the church, but, you know, perhaps is indirectly trying to challenge the church and maybe subvert it in other ways. And it does he uphold? I mean, it almost seems like he never, yeah, he's good at loving them, but he never upholds the church's teaching per se. Does he ever call them out on sin? Does he ever mention sin? Does he ever mention what they're doing is not good and we need to, you know, continually be converted in Christ? Like, because that would be very problematic in a different way. It wouldn't be upholding the truth. It would just kind of be like, you know, rubbing their back and saying, it's okay, you're a good person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you brought up two, two things there. Like, when is it a good time to tell someone about sin in your personal walk with them? Because, uh, that you know, milk before solid food, like there is a relational time that's right. best and, and or better than others, that's for sure. And the other is, idea is, Sure, is he loving him? Well, the question is, is he really, can someone really be loving someone if they're not desiring to point them eventually to greater truth, right? And this is that idea of like truth and love or truth or love or love and truth, um, both, but but there's a one-way highway set up. Check it out. If a person strives to love, but they're devoid of truth, what will that love look like? It could look like anything. It might be then it would it would be like love in quotation marks. It might not be actual love because it's not founded on truth, but it could be a person's best efforts. And so, of course, God recognized our best efforts, but God also calls us to uh, continue to spiritually grow and to understand what is truth. So truth, love rooted in truth will be will be the kind of love that we should be striving for. But uh, or at also giving truth with love. But if we if we if we just try to love, but we're negligent of truth, that's that is actually I would say not love at all. It would not be loving. It might be pacifying to people. It might let people's anxiety go down because someone's listening, you know. And in effect, that could be a degree of like say um, I was going to say the word goodness, but I have to just be careful. Like goodness and love, it could be a, a form of misplaced compassion. But in the whole, in the wide game of things, at the end of the day, if, if you're not pointing people towards the richness of the truths that God has authored into creation for us to choose to conform to, motivated, of course, by the compelling lives that you and I live, that someone might desire to, to do what we're doing, um, striving for that anyway, um, we're, we're just going to fall short of the mark, right? And I see that with, like, with uh, many dissenting Catholics or I say Catholic persons who embrace a dissenting position, person's first language. Um, so persons like Father James Martin, um, I, I see in, in his work, um, you know, like I said, I've been in his conference calls. I've been, I've been with him on the conference calls when the recording was done and the hot mic was still on and I've heard him say things. I, I have, I am utterly convinced that, um, he thinks he's doing the, the will of God. He's very, very good in his storytelling approach to to trans uh, to transform hearts to to influence hearts to side with his perspective. Um, I find it very striking that he doesn't never he never points people towards um, the moral authority of the church to define words like chastity and what successful integration might actually mean success might actually mean successful integration of our sexuality. But I have run into dis Catholics who hold dissenting positions who actually do point people to the catechism. And this is a really important point. This, this is how insidious a dissenting Catholic person, a person who dissents from the Catholic Church can be, is that they can point people towards the catechism despite their rejection of the moral authority of the church. But when breaking it open, they can ask questions. Questions, of course, in and of themselves are not bad. They'll ask the questions, and these questions are framed in ways to shake the faith of these learners in that learner environment. And obviously, if people are, there's many people who, who are not sufficiently educated to be able to see through that, right? 
And a dissenting, there are some dissenting Catholics who will do that. They'll point to the catechism, but then sprinkle their questions and, and phrase them in ways where a person says th- their trust, their trust in the, in the church to be the moral authority just goes down and down and down. So I feel like a lot of people are looking for justifications. And as you said, just not just homosexual, but even heterosexual. I know people who are having troubles in their marriage and are now flirting with, you know, other men or other women, you know, and they're like, they're basically committing adultery, but it's like, oh, well, my marriage isn't good right now. And it's like, we get in our heads in a bad place and we start to look for reasons why sin is okay and even why mortal sin is acceptable. And this is not a good place for anyone to be in. And I feel like it's easy. I've had friends who were like, oh, well, this priest, you know, didn't condemn it. Therefore, it's okay. Or I've, I've, uh, this priest said, you know, oh, well, you know, you're, are you trying to follow God? Well, then you're doing your best. And they're almost giving an implicit, like, well, what you're doing is okay. And I, I feel like Father James Martin and other people do the same thing. It's almost they like they, <clears throat> they, they bring them in. They don't preach you know, the moral authority of the church. They don't preach what the church actually teaches. And they're almost letting them come to their own conclusions that what, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, come to their own conclusions of what, um, what they're doing is okay, basically. And, and I see this in other churches too. You see all of these flags hanging outside these, you know, congregational churches, these Methodist churches. And it's like, do they ever preach truth to these people or do they just preach acceptance? Yes, and some Catholic churches. <laughs> or do yeah. they just preach acceptance? Yeah, you know, that the whole meaning of the pride symbolism, that's 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 something to be cracked open, that's for sure. Um, but but yeah, getting back to that point about like, well, let's let's bring you in. And so, like, you know, being a, a gentle pastoral approach to bring people in is is a good thing. We want people to to know that they are welcome and they are loved, and even when it's uncomfortable. And um, that we will do our best to listen, of course. And there's also room for boundaries on that. If you have, if someone is coming in, but they're being, um, you know, abusive or abrasive, and it is possible for people who who uh, might perceive themselves to be victims to be victimizers as well. That's something that nobody's talking about. Mm-hmm. And so you have sometimes you need to put the boundary of Christ up because someone is toxically impacting. Uh, you or your family and your your attempts to be present for them is actually going to be destructive to your primary obligation which is to be in a in a state of mental well-being for your family okay that's another topic i gotta work my thoughts out on that one but we gotta be careful um so back to the the pride symbolism too like because that's that's everywhere and some people think that this is okay because what we're saying is we're telling you that we see you, we recognize that you exist, and we see you. But that pride symbolism also means something far greater. It's deeply entrenched in political ideology. It is decisively counter to the virtue of chastity, decisively counter to the virtue of chastity. And if 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 that's coming from the leadership, then people coming up are going to be confused of the direction of it, unless it's unless it's like perfectly clear to all people that this is just about saying we see that people are here, but that is an impossible thing to fully communicate. So it is guaranteed to be scandalous to some. So it should be not utilized. And there's many, uh, you know, there's, well, I could say there's bishops who've spoken about this, but there's also pride flags hanging in churches. So it's, I wouldn't say the church is divided. I'd say that people are divided. The church is very true. We are to strive to grow into the fullness of virtue, not just some virtues. Chastity is one of the virtues, but but there are people out there who say, well, I'm a really good person and I give to hospitals and charity and stuff. So I, I can neglect chastity and I'm going to embrace this pride symbolism and, and be seen because this is who I am, even if I'm going to like not act on it, even if that. Um, and, but, but I'm still going to hold on to that mindset of defining that this is who I am. And that's something that I see a lot of dissenting Catholics do. They there's an in a, a lack of desire to to walk away from that mindset being what defines them as a person. And the real question is saying is like what to why is a person attached to to that? Why is a person attached to that? Yeah, and um, 
I, I just see that I don't see personally someone who's just, oh, we see you. We recognize you. We want to accept you. Great. We all should accept everyone. Everyone should be accepted. But where do we go from there? I feel like it stops there. And I, they basically get the message from the flag, from the symbol and from churches that, well, you're you. You just live how you want to live. And that I think is where it becomes dangerous because then we don't take the next step of truly loving the person and leading their souls to heaven and avoiding those things which are going to prevent their souls from getting to heaven. And mm -hmm. I don't feel like just acknowledging, uh, oh, well, you're good. Yeah, everyone's good. Great. But what do we need to do to get to heaven? What things might be preventing us from getting there? Can you speak to can you speak to that? Like, you know, how we need to speak truth with love. Sure, sure. Um, I, I just getting back to that virtue thing. I think that this is um, there's a big trap that people fall into. They say, well, I'm going to respond to the LGBTQ topic by talking about LGBTQ stuff and starting there. And I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is to strive. If we all strive to strive as best as we can to grow in the fullness of virtue and let the love of Christ and the peace, the interior peace and joy and hope and freedom uh, radiate from within our hearts such that that is, that is a compelling testimony in and of itself, possibly without even us having to say a word. So that when someone encounters our orbit, or they enter our orbit, they are moved by our mere presence. That would be the ultimate goal. <clears throat> now, try to bring that into a church, let's say, where nobody understands what the word chastity is, let alone virtue, or sorry, very few people, which quite frankly is very a, a large amount of places, right? It's like there, there has been insufficient training on virtue. Um, it's just a couple of people here and there who know it, but certainly usually not a critical mass of people. So the climate of the church community won't probably radiate that. So that's a deficiency that we have in our church, from what I can tell. And I've traveled around to a lot of places. It seems to be pretty consistent. There's pockets where people understand chastity and thus strive to grow in the fullness of virtue. And those pockets, man, when the kids come to those areas or the young adults and the same-sex attractions is part of their story, and they and they're they're um, raised in a climate like that. Do you know what they end up wanting? They end up wanting to go get married and have an opposite sex spouse and have a normal life like everyone else, even though same sex attractions are part of their story. They know that they're not deprived. They're they know that on account of the attractions and inclinations of the, in, in and of themselves, they're not deprived of of holy spousalship to an opposite sex partner. They're not deprived of the opportunity to enter into a religious order. Because it's just recognizing the attractions. It's not taking on an identity. And it's certainly not acting in ways that are counter to the successful integration of our sexuality. That's the fruit of what can happen in a climate where virtue is a focus. Now, how do we respond? Someone comes who's trying to bring them in. We have to create an environment where people, including them, can learn about our Catholic faith, not through the lens of rules, first and foremost, but through the lens of truth and how striving to grow in the fullness of virtue is really about uh, striving to conform our lives to the greatest degree of truths that are authored by God, but also to grow in excellence in practicing um, the virtues. Uh, like pra if we practice these virtues, what does that mean? Well, well, we'll taste greater joy, that's for sure. And that'll compel people to continue on the journey. And the virtue to higher, the journey to higher virtue is, is not a straight line. It's like it goes up just like a, the, the further a person sins, the farther down they go. The opposite is true with virtue. So to have a community rooted in virtue that can help walk with someone will be great. So that includes a pastoral approach of like walking with someone amidst all of our imperfections, right? And that can be challenging sometimes, but also an educational side where we can have seminars, put seminars on at your church about growing in virtue and, and, and what that really means according to the church, not according to me, but according to what the church says, the catechism says what the saints have said there's such beautiful richness there that is is not really accessed by many people and thus what happens is the church community doesn't have that as like its ethos but i've seen what happens like i said that the kids who the world would have said are gay they know that that's a crock of crap they know that they could they they keep locked locked on god and they love god they can pursue holy uh Pursue holiness, which develops holy friendships, which develops holy relationships, which develops holy relational intimacy, holy attraction to a person of the opposite sex who's also pursuing chastity. It's all possible. I'm seeing this unfold before my eyes. So it's possible, but 
It's going to start when like you and me and the people that we know who care about our faith and who care about these people who experience same-sex attractions and who may right now even be identifying as LGBTQ, we care about them and we want them to taste something more beautiful. So by striving to grow in the fullness of virtue and introducing that into our church communities is in the most profound ways that we can. Um, we can be the strive to be the radiant reason why someone might say, look, there is something more beautiful. And it's in the Catholic Church, the last place the world said that I should ever look. And quite frankly, that's exactly what happened to me back in 2007 or so when I came to the Catholic faith, when I came back in my reversion and I was blown away by how I was loved, and how I was received, and how I just saw an interior peace and beauty among this men's group. And I was like, I want that because the world doesn't have the interior peace. It does not. So we got to radiate it. And every time that we like fall into like, Anger and bitterness, sorry, not anger. I mean like anger that turns to resentment. If we fall to resentment and become bitter and we all we're doing is amplifying the, the power of the LGBTQ ideologues who say, you know what? The church is a place of anger and they hate you and they're all, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's like if we get angry, which may be justified, we have to make sure that it's turned to charity which would start by saying we're going to take this to prayer on the cross and seeing how I can strive to grow in the fullness of virtue so that I can radiate a bit, something more beautiful to these people who are coming in. And you know what? Like, it's going to be tough and we'll get, the reward will be known in God's time. And we have to just be okay with that. <laughs> Amen. Really good points. Really well said. Um, so where does it fall in though? You know, we, we, we do have to, sometimes talk about right and wrong in addition to loving people accepting people we do have to talk about you know sin sometimes we do have to talk about you know this is not okay this is okay this is not okay this is what we want to shoot for i mean how does that fit in because you know i i look at people like father richard Rohr and others who just seem to affirm everything as well and once you affirm everything and you love everyone that's great but you're not actually leading them to heaven even if you are talking about virtue even yeah, if you but, are talking about goodness and truth and or, they're not loving not, they're not loving and they're not loving them they're they're if anything it's like i would say like an effeminate approach meaning doing what's easy instead of doing what they ought not talking feminine, I'm talking effeminate. It's, it's effeminacy to just take someone in and be like, I'll pat you on the back and just kind of affirm you down the road you're already on because that's easy for me to do. You know what I'm saying? So it's not love. It's just, I think it's it's not love. It's effeminacy. And it's like, it's like who wants to be that? You know, do we want to be like, uh, you know, like, like courageous in our faith or do we want to be effeminate? Again, I don't mean feminine. I mean, I mean, not doing what we ought because it's too hard. Yeah. So again, the question is, well, what what ought we to do? Because why would Father so and so and Father so and so do this? Well, you and I are saying do that, and I think the ultimate answer comes down to: Are we looking to the moral authority of the Church at the end of the day? Right. You and I, I know that we'll appeal to the Catechism, and if something in my conscience is contrary to the Catechism, I'm going to say, okay, well. I'm going to let go of that. I'm not going to wrestle with that. That's what the dissenting Catholic says. I got to wrestle with this my whole life because I'm at odds with the church. Give it up. Just let go of it. That's how easy it is. Then you don't have to wrestle and have that interior turmoil for your whole life. You surrender your desires and your attachments to the wisdom of the church. Go on with your life and you don't have to be wrestling with that. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we could justify any kind of sin like going back to the adultery, you know, a husband could be like, well, you know, oh, this is so hard because, you know, the catechism says, you know, divorce and remarriage is a sin. And, you know, I don't want to like to, I don't like to think about sin because, but the catechism also says we should love. And right now my wife doesn't love me and I don't really love her, but I, this other lady, she understands me, you know, and, or, you know, she gets me and I get her. We just have this loving relationship. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And so we're justifying sin by exalting love, but in fact, it's not love, what you're doing to your wife, what you're doing in sin, it's never what you're doing to Christ. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah, actually exactly. love. Exactly. And and of course, sin, let's see, Catechism 1849 says sin is a rejection of truth. This is important because we can look at that through the lens of what God has authored into creation, which includes a sexual complementarity of males and females in the sexual realm, uh, of course, and also the fact that we are created as males and females. 
So that's truth for us to reject that by embracing an LGBTQ type of mindset. We are rejecting the successful integration of, of our sexuality, you know? And so it's not love. We're, we're rejecting chastity and we're rejecting the fullness of virtue and rejecting the fullness of Christ and rejecting the possibility of being in full union with the church's spotless bride of Christ. Th that's not love, right? And, and so someone can say again, like, well, my heart feels tingly is must feel like love. But I mean, let's break open what love really means. And is it even possible to love? Uh, well, is it to what degree is it possible to love if we are interiorly resistant to embracing truth? Yeah, truth and love, they have to go together. Very, very, yeah, very important. Yeah. And uh, in fact, you know, I kind of just, I just made a TikTok video this past Sunday and I was going to put it up on TikTok. And then I realized I'd probably be banned from TikTok because they're <laughs> more stringent than other places. So oh. I put it on uh, Instagram and, uh, but it basically says that, um, you know, the priest talked about truth in the world and how we need to love truth because Jesus Christ is truth. And when we don't love truth, we don't love Christ. Or when we make our own truth, we still reject Christ. And so I said, you know what? We don't, tell people you know there's only two genders like male and female right and you know man and woman and you know we don't tell people that because we don't like them we don't tell people that because we don't accept them we do love them and we do want to accept them and we do want to be there for them but we tell them that because we love them and we want them to be the full people that god created them to be because only then can we find happiness and truth and fulfillment and you know we're not going to similar to how i'm not going to tell an anorexic that she oh well you are fat you know so you should keep losing weight even though you're a skeleton i'm not going to do that because that would actually be unloving and i'm not going to tell someone with body integrity disorder that you know what that really isn't your arm you know even though it is you don't think it is so you should get it amputated like you want i'm not going to tell someone that because it's unloving so um, if someone god made someone a male god made someone a female and they think you know there's two hundred fifty thousand genders well i can't affirm that because that's actually unloving and i want you to accept yourself i want you to be who god made you to be and i want you to be who god made you to be because that's going to make you the happiness in life that's where you're going to find peace that's where you're going to come to terms with everything in this life and that might be a difficult journey but i'm not going to affirm a lie because that's not loving to you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would I would also clarify too that's that's very well said is like is like I'll, I'll introduce the difference between peace and joy uh, sorry uh, happiness and joy in a, yes. in, a in a small way because like we know that let's say you have some kid with anxiety and they they are really miserable in their state and they think that going trans is the their way you know that's what they must do because that's who they are because they've been reading online and the parents had no idea they're reading online and then they come up months later uh anyway um. That kid, remember, escaping that anxiety and that misery will make someone happy in that, that moment. They're like, finally, I'm relieved of this anxiety. So it's quite like, I, I've, I, I mean, it's, I think it's right that we will get pushback if we say that you won't be happy because people will get happy. But where is the everlasting joy and interior peace? That's what's missing, right? Because it's always a push against nature and you can't outrun nature. You know, this is that I realized I, I was looking at some old cars when I was driving on, uh, on a highway and there's this, like trees growing through it. And I was like, man, even like nature is taking over the body of this metal machine, this huge car. And like, who might, can I actually believe that nature won't try to take over my body of flesh? Like I'll always be fighting my nature. It was a, it was a battle. I realized I could never outrun. So I just abandoned it. I'm like, what am I doing? It was a great wake up call. Thanks to God's grace. I just, whatever I had that wake up. But, uh, but that, 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 um, that moment of happiness of, on account of like feeling like you have stepped away from all the things that are causing you that anxiety and stuff, that's a real, that can be a real happiness in a temporary moment. So, yeah. So let, like, let's, uh, I, I, I get, I get what you're saying and I agree with it in principle is I just wanted to introduce that thing different between the joy and the happiness because really it's the joy and the joy won't come unless we are the joy will increasingly come the more we surrender to god's authorship not the pressures of the world to try to be something that we're not and here's another thing <laughs> this is a really simple thought it was like okay the the people who can't identify physical truths like male and female uh so visible physical world 
are if they can't see a truth in that realm, they'll all the less be able to see a truth of the spiritual realm. So truths, uh, conversations about morality have to do with truths of the spiritual realm. Am I going to take advice from somebody who can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl about the morality? Not a chance in hell because they're, <laughs> they, they can't. They've rejected truth in the most obvious sense. It is it is abundantly clear that they'll be less capable of recognizing a spiritual truth. <clears throat> so I just, <laughs> it's just, it's just that easy. And and the other thing too, this would be really nice. Um, the, the word gender, right? Like two genders, many genders. I think about this as like every time we talk about gender, we're again, we're like, instead, we should be, wouldn't it be great if we said there's two sexes? Because when we talk about sex, we're talking about biological reality. We're talking about gender. We're introducing mindset, right? And it, it introduces the ability for a person to, to flex on what that means. Right. Biological sex is written into creation. And of course, gender is tethered to that. It cannot be separated. Anybody who tells you that like sex is, uh, sorry, sex is in here and gender, uh, no, sex is between your legs and genders in your head is categorically wrong. Watch out for those people. Do not hire them for jobs. Okay. Um, but they're, they're tethered together. They can't be separated. But when we use language like there's two genders, we're playing into the cards of the ideologues who, who want us to think in terms of gender. Let's talk about sex. Let's reclaim sex. There's two sexes. Let's reclaim that and see what happens. I want to actually, let's see where the pushback is if we do that. Because there will be pushback. Yeah, great, great, great points. Um, but, you know, you're getting me frustrated and pumped up because this is exactly what they're preaching in school systems in freaking, like, work. Like, they're, they're hiring someone for, you know, $30,000 to come in and talk about, you know, how one's a mindset and everything else. And you have to follow along, you have to play the trumpet, and you have to just march in line with everyone else. And it's ridiculous. You said don't hire these people. And yet that's exactly what they're doing. They're hiring these people to come in and brainwash everyone. They're hiring these people to come in and try to change the, the mass of the culture. And what really frustrates me is that nobody speak, I shouldn't say nobody, most people are not speaking up against it. Nobody's saying this is not right. This is, you know, even in pulling the principal aside at a school and saying, you know what, this is incorrect. Yeah, they might lose their job, but you know what? Some things are more in culture, like uh, more important, like the soul of our culture, like the whole soul of our soul society, like the souls of all the kids who are going to be brainwashed and influenced by this stuff. And now they're putting the books into the school systems and making kids read these at a young age. And no one's outraged about it except me, apparently. <laughs> I'm getting up on my soapbox here, but it's ridiculous. And we need to start speaking truth and love and stop capitulating and stop letting the culture boss us around and tell us what to do. All right. That was great. It is totally right. We have to take action. We don't have to wait till 51% of the people want to take action before we think we have a hope of making a difference. It's a very small amount of people that can tip the critical mass in one direction or the other. We have to get organized, get on your social media groups, talk to each other and go to those places. And, and uh, uh, like, if, if it's a Catholic environment, like, do you know who the gatekeepers are on the library books that are brought in? Do you know? Do you know who's teaching that RCIA class? Do you know who's teaching the confirmation class at your church? If it's not you, make it you, right? Get in there, get involved, and you can take over, <laughs> take over parishes one bit by a time. I'm not, I'm not going to take back that word. That's really what it is. And the idea of like, you know, letting someone else do it because, oh, the battle's too hard. Well, that, that's just, that's why we're in this mess right now to begin with. We all have to do what our part is and not everybody can do everything. And we have to attend to the state in our lives, of course. But there are things we can do, you know, leading with prayer, leading with fasting, and then identifying like, like, especially where you can see, um, like signs of dissent, right? Dig in a little bit, make things uncomfortable. Uh, that's what we, I mean, the, 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 and the side of dissent certainly has no problem making things uncomfortable for us. And it's not about doing it out of spite. It's about doing what is just, what is right and just in accordance with the universal proposal to strive to grow in the fullness of virtue and to raise our children in that as opposed to raising them in a way that will make them look at the church and say, this is ridiculous, you know, and that's what a dissenting Catholic does. They're not capable. They can teach they, in any, any, any respect. A person who dissents can indeed teach about the faith. They, that is not, I mean, you know, as, as telling a friend, it's like even Satan could be a scripture scholar. You know, he, he was first quotes, he quoted scripture against Jesus, right? 
But Satan cannot tr transmit the Catholic faith, nor can a dissenting Catholic. They're incapable of transmitting the Catholic faith because they themselves don't live in the joy of fully surrendering to it. They can teach parts of it. They can, but it'll always contain that, 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 that angle of dissent with the interior hope, typically, that that kid or that person, whoever, will also side with them. Because there is this mindset. It's like, well, the more people I get to side with me, the more correct I must be. Because there's <laughs> no such thing as real truth. Exactly. Oh, I like what you said about, um, you I know, the it. culture. <laughs> I'm just getting going. I want to get going, but we're at the end of the show. But I like what you said about, uh, and this will be our next show, you know, like the, maybe the difference between sex and gender and how to, you know, talk about that. But um, I like what you said, though. They're not afraid to push us around. They're not afraid to push their identity on us. They're not afraid to push their agenda on us. And they're not afraid to tell bully us and tell us we're wrong. They are okay with bullying us. And we are okay with being bullied too many times, way too many times. In fact, I uh, was I talked to the kids all the time in the school systems when I used to teach about this. And one girl said, Mr. Mercier, you don't believe in homosexual marriage? And I, she's like, she already chewed out another kid, like gave him a new one because he wouldn't, and he just shut up. And then, and then I said something. She's like, Mr. Mercier, she like got this growl in her voice. And I'm like, I was like, hold on. You didn't even ask me why I believe what I believe. I might have a good reason. So she's like, oh. Okay, well, what's your reason? And so we had a good conversation <laughs> over it after that. But, you know, like, I'm not afraid to speak up against it. I don't even care if I get fired over it. I'm going to save as many souls as possible. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be stupid and I'm not going to force my religion down anyone's throat, of course, because I'm not propose. about that. Propose, right? Not yes, I'm going to propose truths. And if people want to accept the truth, they can. Right. But the bottom line is people want to not propose, force these ideologies that are false down our throats. And we're way too comfortable. We're, we, this is why we need to know our faith. This is why we need to study it. Because the more we know it, the more we can defend it without being a jerk, without yelling at people, without shouting and telling them they're wrong. We have to be able to discuss these things passionately and i can i'm with you but i would never discuss yeah. with someone on the other side like you know like this but you know, we have to be able to do it passionately but with great love like you said when they enter your aura do they want to stay there oh, no, or i said they orbit gonna... i said i said orbit. <laughs> I like sorry age sorry sorry like, no <laughs> new age <laughs> get my new age book people yeah. <laughs> that's what i meant um so when they enter your orbit <laughs> Do they, uh, do they want to stay there? And are they willing to have that conversation with you and listen? Or just by, you know, the orbit that you have, are you going to push them away? Are they going to feel like they're just going to, oh, well, you don't care about me, you know? So we really need to have truth and we really need to have love. That's where that comes with virtue. And that's where it comes with a deep prayer life. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, you just said about that pushing away, there's going to be people that no matter we could be like as 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 pure and amazing and loving as Jesus himself. And people will push us away regardless, just like they pushed him away, actually. So uh, we can't use whether someone pushes away or pushes us away or not as like the metric of how successful we are. Right. The, the degree of success that we might be able to think about is to what degree were we striving to live the virtue of charity in our interaction right uh, mm -hmm. and 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 just again like focus on how can i be a more holy person and just and just god will god will handle everybody he will handle he will deal with the hearts of every person right we can mm -hmm. focus on how we can become holier yeah one example one one last story before we finish up i was at a conference um i gave a conference in um pennsylvania and it was a family conference and there was this woman who used to come every year and she dressed all in black, far overweight, super angry, used to laugh at us when we were like, when I was giving a talk on stage, she'd just sit there sniv sniving, you know, and just laughing at me and just, you know, rolling her eyes. And after the talk, I'd be like, you know, I just go talk to her like, Hey, how you doing? Thanks for coming to this conference. My mother made me come and I don't want to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. And I, I used to just love her, you know, and uh, my team used to love her as well. And every year she used to be like, and then yeah. one year, you know, we, she came to get prayed over. We were like all looking at each other and be like, who wants to touch this girl? She's like into witchcraft and like all this yeah. other stuff. And, uh, all, 
it was crazy, but like all these spirits came out of this girl and she just sat there as a whole new person. And she confided in us afterwards. Like now she's a huge hardcore, you know, Jesus loving Christian. And like, she loves Jesus. She reads the Bible. She does all that. And she confessed. She's like, the only thing that brought me back was not your years of arguments. The only thing that brought me back was your obsessive love. She's like, you guys never gave up on me. She's like, you just, I pushed you away and you still loved me. I, I made fun of you and you still loved me. I called you morons and you still loved me. She just, mm-hmm. she's like, I've never had people just love me unconditionally like mm-hmm. that. And that's what I've experienced in my life is when you just love people, not bash them over the head with the truth. When you give the truth in great love, that mm-hmm. is what changes people's lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and at times endure the the types of sufferings that occur when someone's not ready to accept it. And yeah. it's because that will only work to our own, our own holiness. If we turn those sufferings towards God as a penitential offering to him to shower the graces upon the whole world, including upon those who aren't asking for it. So asking for graces. And so, yeah, love, love. That's the beautiful thing. Love with truth. Love, love with truth, truth, <laughs> truth be the guide of the love. That's what I'm trying to say. But you can't have love really without truth, and you can't have truth without love. They both go together. So let's talk more about this in the future because I know this show has <laughs> gone long and I've thinking you've made a ton of good points, you know, for people to reflect on. But you and I, we could go all day. So we'll just, you know, dot 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 <laughs> ellipses to another show. Um, because I have so much more I want to talk to you about. And um, but I want to thank you for joining us on this show to talk about these sensitive and difficult issues. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm really happy to come back and chat chat it up with you. And thank you all for joining us and tuning into this difficult subject and informing yourselves. Please do us a favor and share this video because people need to hear the truth. This is the truth that is the answer to the culture. This is the truth that is the bomb on false lies of the culture. So please learn this information yourself, even if you have to watch it twice. Check out Hudson Biblo's uh, conversion story, which we have on our channel. Check out, uh, we did an interview with Walt Heyer, who is amazing. He lived as a transgender uh, woman for eight years and came back to being a man. And now he has a whole website called IRegretMySexChange.org. These people have there been many people who have lived these lifestyles and realized that it doesn't bring happiness because it's not the truth. So check out these videos, inform yourselves, learn them and share them with others in love. Most of all, check out below. Uh, I'm going to link below uh, Hudson uh, Biblo's uh, website and his work. Please check out his work. Uh, everything that he has, uh, he will, you'll be seeing articles hopefully coming by him soon. And I believe he's been writing a ton of them already. And also check out our social media below, our Patreon, our PayPal. And if you want to support our ministry um, to help us keep getting this word out there, because of course, not only is uh, YouTube not going to pay us for this and uh, allow this video to be monetized, they're going to nerf it as much as possible. So if you could help us to continue to grow this channel, we would be very much appreciative. So thank you all for watching and God bless you.